All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the end of Romans chapter 3. Um, but, you know, I was thinking before we actually start this morning, you know, what, what makes a church truly legit? You know, if you really think about it, uh, what is it? Uh, it's a sign. And we finally have a church sign. Did you see that out there? Yes, we're legit. We're like a legitimate church now. We have a true sign. I'm kidding. Um, but... Uh, yeah, we're not just the, the weird church in the woods anymore now, right? Yeah, at least we have a sign that, you know, we, okay, we are a church. We're not a cult back there. We're a true, true, true church. Um, and that is a good thing, very good thing. Um, all right, so remember last week we, we took a turn, and it was, it was a pivot, if you will, in the book of Romans, and it was this. Uh, sin is big, right? We talked about how, how big sin is, and we talked kind of made the parallels between Romans 1 and Romans 2. Romans 1 was this. Um, there are a lot of prodigals out there, and that means there's a lot of uh, people who are living sinful, licentious lives, and they're out there. And if you want to do that in Tampa, go down to, you know, go down to Wybor City and live it up, right? Uh, go down to you know, different places that we have, and uh, Paul was saying, we know that that's, that's some of you. And if you want to take Jesus' story uh, about the lost brother, that's the prodigal. Some of you are the prodigal. And then he says in, in Romans chapter 2, but uh, the other thing is there was another brother, and that's the elder brother, and that was the legalist. That was the churchy person. And basically what Paul was saying was that, you know, if you're the elder brother or you're the prodigal, they're equally as sinful. They, equally, they, they separate for, uh, you from God uh, just as much. And then last week, uh, the beauty of it was that God, in his love, said, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to um, take the punishment, and we find this later on in Romans, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, the wages of sin, that death, um, is going to be placed upon Jesus, and you're going to receive life. And the, kind of the metaphor that we used was this. Um, the analogy was, uh, if salvation is entrance into Harvard, right? And you present your application to Harvard, and Harvard means you have to have a perfect verbal, perfect written, perfect community involvement, perfect school involvement, and uh, you submit your application, and, and then Jesus submits his application, and you're in the same stack. And somehow the gospel, the beautiful love of Jesus says the grace of God was this, is that your, you know, your sticker with your name on it got placed on Jesus' application. And his name his, on, on that sticker got placed on your application. And then when the Harvard you know, admissions officer looked at Jesus' application, he got a perfect score, perfect, never did anything wrong. That was given to you. And any time that you apply for something and um, you don't get in, what do you receive? You receive rejection. And you receive the pain of that. And that's what Jesus received. He received the pain of rejection. And you and I, per our faith in the application of Jesus, per our belief that the application of Jesus was perfect and he actually did that, Paul says, hey, you have entrance. You have acceptance. Not only just acceptance, you are, you know, you are, you know, given the, the full scholarship house um, at Harvard. That's the beauty of it. That's the counter, counterintuitive nature of the gospel is that you receive that. And Paul is trying to talk to a church that's saying this. Um, you guys have two different types of people in this church. Jews who've received Christ and Gentiles that receive Christ. And you know what you're doing? You're comparing one another. But here's the comparison, if you still want to use that Harvard analogy. Gentiles, 
you know, so I looked this up uh, this week. The, the worst score you can get, if you get nothing right on the SAT, is a 400, right? <laughs> right? So let's hope none of us got that, but we're going to err. That's neither here nor there. Uh, and uh, it's almost like what the, you know, what, what the, the, the fight is within the church is the Jews are saying to the Gentiles, you got a 400, you got a 400 on your SAT. I mean, that's, that's what you get. There's no way, right? And then the Gentiles look at the Jews' score, and what do the Jews get? About a 410, right? And they're fighting. And the Jews are saying, well, we got a 410, and the Gentiles are, yeah, we know we got a 400. The point of it is this. You have to have a perfect score. Why are we fighting? 400, 410, it doesn't, you're not even close. You're nowhere near perfection. Why in the world would you use, you know, your ability to, to follow some of this law as a means by which to make yourself feel better? And so Paul is saying, so, um, this is happening in the church here in Rome. And it's beginning to have its effect, right? The effect being, um, hey, people are... People are changing. Um, there, I, I actually had it. And I guess I lost it. I can lose things so easily, right? And that's my wife. Ask my wife about this. Actually, I have it here. I just found it. Sorry. <laughs> what Paul says, the reason why, why things are so bad, you know, we, we've, sung, we've already sung about a hurricane. Um, it's like this hurricane of sin hit you know, the world. And I read this. This is an interesting fact about hurricanes in light of Hurricane Michael. Because um, what scientists used to try to do is stop hurricanes. So they just try to shoot a sonic boom into the middle of a hurricane. That didn't work. They've tried all these different things to stop hurricanes from actually, um, you know, affecting um, land. And um, it's, it says this. It's quite a daunting challenge given that the average hurricane's wind energy equals about half of the world's electricity production in a year. The energy an average hurricane releases as it forms clouds is 200 times the world's annual electricity use. I mean, that's, I, I, I was like, that's amazing. The heat energy of a fully formed hurricane, so the heat energy of Michael that hit last week, is the equivalent of a 10 megaton nuclear bomb exploding every 20 minutes. I mean, that is some serious, uh, serious power. And if you think about what Paul is saying, look, when the fall of man came, that's what it was. It was a 10 megaton nuclear bomb exploding every 20 minutes in the world, and you can do nothing about it. It's affected us so much in ways you can't even imagine, and that is what sin has done. And now, why in the world, Rome, would you say, would the Jews say, who, who believed in Christ, why would they say, we're f- uh, first two-row Christians, and Gentiles, you're back Back row Christians. Why would you say that? And so here we are. This is uh, Romans three twenty seven. Where then is boasting? Paul Paul's asking. Where's boasting? I mean, it's excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law? Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? 
Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God. Who will justify the circumcised by faith? The Jews, the Christian Jews, and the uncircumcised through the same faith, the Gentiles. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. He's saying there's boasting going on. What do you boast in? What do I boast in? I mean, when you look um, at, at a boast, when, when, when you think about it, in the ancient Near East, what, when did you begin to boast? Well, normally when you're about ready to go to war, you know? And so what would happen is, you, you know, the whole idea is that uh, we would begin to talk to each other like, we can do this, right? You're getting ready to go to war. You're getting ready to kind of get yourself pumped up. And we can do it. We can get it. We are strong enough. We are good enough. And what God is saying is that um, the problem with every human heart is that uh, you look at your beauty or your smarts or your talent and you look at anything good about yourself. The scriptures tell us this. And you say, I did that. I mean, what is the thing that you, hey, if you took your whole life and you thought, the thing that you're most proud of, the thing that you worked hardest for. Should I switch mics, you think? Take the handheld or no? Should I? I okay, let me do that. Oh, that's. Uh, that's that. Oh, thank you. Perfect. All right, good. All right. I still have a mic there. Good. It's on, okay. You hear me? Hear me now? Good, hear me now. Um, what's the whole idea behind uh, that is that you take credit for something. What is it that you feel like you take credit for? I mean, could you think, okay, you know what? I, I started this church from nothing. I'm going to take credit for it. What? I mean, think about the collective smarts in this room. And the collective smarts of our entire church take both services, and we got a lot of paper on our walls. We got a lot of paper that says you've done this or you've done that. You're, you're certified in a lot of different things. And you say, you know what? I did that. Here's what Paul says. He's Paul saying, look, um, it's easy to boast. Jeremiah 9.23 says this. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. We got a lot of smart people in this room. It's easy for you to to, to boast let not or, or the strong man boast of his strength the physical strong man or the rich man boast of his riches we got a lot of people in here with a lot of wealth but let him who boast boast about this that he understands and knows me that i am the lord who exercises kindness justice and righteousness on earth for in these i delight the word boast here in the, in the Hebrew here is taken from this word called halal. And that's where we get the term hallelujah. Hallelujah, right? Praise God. Boast in him. Hallelujah, Jesus. But what Paul is saying is, look, I'm watching a church begin to separate. Because boasting, the point being here, Paul is trying to get boasting in self separates. What is something that you know um, you feel better about about yourself than, than your spouse? What's something that you feel like you're better at than your spouse? Right? What's, what's something that you feel you're better at than other people in your family? What's something that you feel like you're better at than you know, some in your closest friend group? 
And what Paul is saying is that, look, um, I know you might think these things. If you, if you did better or if you made more money, um, this is why what? This is why I am praiseworthy. But Paul is watching boasting happen in a church. And if this, ha- this happens, if this happens in our church, people will begin to separate. People begin to divide and classify themselves based upon, you name it, whatever it is, whatever category. It could be money. We're, we're the people that, hey, we're, we're the smarter ones. Well, we're the people that do more social justice things. We're the people that actually go up, you know, those 30 people that, um, that uh, Westtown needs to, to make these meals. We're the ones that actually do that. It's easily to what? Find yourself in that, to, to, to find your righteousness in that. Um, I read this about once every two, three years, but it's Jack and Paul Miller wrote a, basically a Bible study that talks about the gospel-centered life, and it talks about um, what do you count on to give you a sense of your own personal credibility? That was the question he asked. And here are some of the examples. And see if you find yourself, I'm going to read about 10 of these. Where you, and I've read this before, so some of you know this, but I think what it does is it, is it uh, diagnoses our hearts so easily. And that's what Paul is trying to do to the church. Here are some examples, Paul and Jack Miller say. Job righteousness. I'm a hard worker, so God will reward me. Family righteousness. Or you boast in who you are as a family. Because I do things right as a parent, I'm more godly than parents who can't control their kids. (laughs) Theological righteousness. I have good theology. God prefers me over those who have bad theology. Intellectual righteousness. I am better read, more articulate, and more culturally savvy than others, which obviously makes me superior. Schedule righteousness. I am self-disciplined and rigorous in my time management, which makes me more mature than others. Flexibility righteousness. In a world that's busy, I'm flexible and relaxed. I always make time for others. Shame on those who don't. (laughs) Mercy righteousness. I care about the poor and disadvantaged the way everyone else should. Legalistic righteousness. I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls who do. (laughs) Those girls that chew, yes. (laughs) Too many Christians. Just aren't concerned about holiness these days. Financial righteousness. I manage money wisely and stay out of debt. I'm not like those materialistic Christians who can't control their spending. Political righteousness. If you really love God, you'll vote for my candidate. Tolerance righteousness. I am open-minded and charitable towards those who don't disagree with me. In fact, I'm a lot like Jesus that way. Where are you? Where are you in that? You can find yourself. I know you can, because I can. I can find it in a lot of those, a lot of those categories. And what Paul is asking you and he's asking me is, where do you boast? Where do I boast? Because ultimately, it's, you know, the, the idea is that we're all on trial. And that's what Paul was talking about in this passage right before this. We are all on trial. And here, here is the scandal, if you will, of Christianity, is that in the Old Testament, we knew that the wages of sin was death. And here's what God in his mercy said. Humans don't have to die. Here's what I need you to do. Kill animals. 
So you can bring animal sacrifices to the priest, and the priest can sacrifice them. And we talked about that. When the priest would then go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood, what was that? That was a receipt to God. It was a receipt showing that what? Blood had actually been shed. That the wages of sin, somebody died. And that's what it cost. And so the hope was that, okay, God, please tell me uh, that I'm going to be okay. And if we're going to be judged, here's the thing is we would assume that at the last day, we're going to get the verdict and we're going to find out who's wrong and who's right. That would be the assumption. You're going to find out. But here's the scandal is that the verdict of the last day, Paul is telling you and me, has come forward into the middle of history. And we get the verdict. And the execution of the verdict was Jesus. And we have proof, not just hope in Jesus now, because we are New Testament Christians. What do we do? We look back on what Jesus did. We are not like the Old Testament Christians. They had to have faith in the promise, right, in the covenant that there would be a sacrifice. They had to look towards the the future of the cross. We as New Testament Christians have to look back and believe it actually happened. And what Paul is saying is the execution of the verdict, that we have proof, not just hope. You don't have just hope in Jesus. You know what he says you have? You have proof. You have proof. How? The resurrection. The eyewitnesses. And how might the execution of a verdict that you thought was going to come at the last day when, you know, we're all standing up there and we think, okay, God, who's right and who's wrong? And we think it's going to be at the very end. And God said, no, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send it right into the middle of history. And he sent it through Jesus. And he executed the verdict so that not just hope, but we have proof. Now, if you have proof of a verdict that you win, that I win, how might that increase your confidence in God? How might the truth of that literally change the way that you walk into your kitchen when you come home from work? If that is what you have, right? If that is the confidence that, that you kind of wear, how might we live differently because of Jesus? Because um, when we boast, right? When we think, okay, hey, we have got it right There's something about me. We basically become heretics and we deny the gospel. We deny. I mean, this is this is the whole idea of a lapsed Christian back in the early church. You know what happened? Persecution came to all Christians. And there was a bunch of Christians that during the time of persecution, the Roman persecution, you know what they did? They basically held a spear up to their face and they said, "Okay, do you believe in Jesus Christ of your Lord and Savior? You know what a bunch of people who were professing Christians said? No, I don't believe in that. They denied Christ. They denied him, and they said, nope, I don't believe in it. Um, And obviously, you don't want me to believe in him, so I won't believe in him. And they went on their merry way, and they denied their Christian faith. Well, time went on. The persecution stopped, and these same people came back to the church, and they said, hey, can I um, kind of be reinstated as a Christian? And the question was is, hey, Were they real Christians? They were called lapsed, lapsed Christians. Because when persecution came, they denied them. And when when Paul is looking at the church, he's saying, look, what do you find yourself in? When the world says, find yourself in this, when the persecution of the world says, find yourself in this, what are you finding yourself in? And so Paul says, look, I need to go to a few examples. Let me go to a few examples. 
So this is uh, the next uh, few verses here. This is Rome. We actually move to Romans chapter four here. You say, okay, what then shall we say that Abraham, because he's known as the father of the Jews, right? He's the first Hebrew. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, in other words, what he did, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Why is this important? Well, I mean, why would he even include this when talking about what you can boast in? Here's the deal. When did the law come? When did the Ten Commandments come in the, in the Bible, in the book of Exodus? When did Abraham come in the first book of the Bible, Genesis? What's the point? The point is Paul is trying to make. Abraham didn't even have the Ten Commandments. He had no idea what the law was. Like, the law wasn't given yet. And how was Abraham justified? This comes straight from Genesis 15. Remember when we talked about the, the, the animals that were cut and the blood path? We talked about that a few weeks ago. The blood path came and God swore upon him very self. He's saying this. He's saying, Abraham believed God and he was counted as righteous. He was vindicated through simply belief. Abraham didn't have anything to boast about because, you know what? He did not know that the first commandment was love the Lord God with all you got. He did not know that the fourth commandment was remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He didn't know that the fifth commandment was honor your father and mother. He didn't know that the sixth commandment was um, do, do not kill. He had no idea that that was the law of God. No one knew the heart of God until he gave it in Exodus. They didn't know the rules yet. All God wanted Abraham to do was what? Believe. That's the start of our faith, of of our relationship with God, is belief. That's the way that you are connected with God. And what the church is doing now is he's saying, if there's boasting in a church, um, that separates. And here's what we're doing. You got people sitting on the front two rows that think they're better than everybody else, that think that they are, you know, in in some way um, more holy. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 4. Now... To the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now, you tell me, someone who gives you a big gift, you ever received a big monetary gift that you don't deserve? In a world where, you know, our general demographic does very well, that is not well really well received <laughs> because generally speaking, when, you know, you receive a big monetary gift, you think, okay, what is, what is attached to this? Because people don't give something for nothing. I know that there is, there's some type of, you know, transaction going on. And I think it's hard for us in rich America to understand this because even when someone gives us something that we don't deserve, we don't necessarily like it. Because we don't feel like we earned it. You feel good if you can put your head on the pillow and say, I worked hard today. You know what? I earned this sleep. I earned it. And what the gospel is saying is you earned nothing. You don't earn sleep. Jesus earned it all. So don't tell me, church, it's easy for you to receive this gospel. When you set your whole life up, all those you know, pieces of paper on your wall, 
anything you've done in this capitalistic society that you worked hard for, you think, I did it. Paul knows that we need this gospel right now because this is not an easy thing for us to... We say it, right? We, we say it, um, but my goodness, because it's the churchy thing to say, you know, you've been saved by faith. But to live this out for real, I mean, to not boast about things and find yourself completely in, in, in the work of Jesus, um, it is easy to boast. Or the flip side of boasting is it's easy to feel insecure. You can feel that with anybody you have interactions with, right? Sociologists say 95% of communication is nonverbal. So, you know, it's body language. It's the way that you feel around people. And what Paul is saying is when people are communicating in the church between one another, it's still about self and what we've done. We will, sep- we will self-separate as a church, a Westtown church, into where you feel most comfortable, if that's people with more money or less money. How do you sound like, what do you sound like when you speak? You know, how, how, how your kids behave. We kind of will self kind of congregate over here. And what is, what's happening, he's saying, look, it is ultimately breaking the church apart. Abraham believed God. He didn't do anything. He did not know what the Ten Commandments were. And that's his, uh, that's his righteousness, believing in God. So here's what Paul says. This is Galatians 6. He says this, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast. He had everything to boast about in the world. He was a Roman citizen. He was, went to the Harvard of, of Hebrew schools. He knew more than any. And he said, Here, here's what I have. I have Jesus. Now, what if we did apply that to um, our homes, our, in our marriages? What if we really believe this? If, as a wife, you didn't think you had anything to boast about except for Jesus, and as a husband, you never thought you had anything to bring to the table. It's not a paycheck. It's not whatever. You know, if you're the wife, it's not a paycheck. It's not the way that you're uh, mothering. It's not the way that you're fathering. It's not the way that you are with people. It's nothing except this. How would that change your dynamic at home today, if this is what we boasted about. Because this could be one of the most unifying or separating verses in the Bible. And Paul is watching that play itself out. And I think, hey, I think it's where and how we struggle. Um, I know it's easy, you know, in in smaller ways. Hey, uh, I mean, we finally have a sign. I can boast in having a sign. (laughs) We have a really nice sign now. We're a church with a sign. We're legit. Um, we've got a really great youth group. We're legit, right? We've got a great worship experience. We're good. We're, we're warm. We're good. The sermons tend to be whatever. We're good or bad, right? Or boring or not boring, whatever category you'd like to use, whatever it is outside of Jesus. Hey, that's the thing that will separate, right? It's the thing that separates, you know, a marriage is the thing that separates a family. It's the thing that separates a church family when things are not about the Lord, because if everybody is one and unified in Christ, really nothing can separate that until we decide, okay, let's have these categories now and really divide people up. And Satan 
uses that. And so then he says, okay, Abraham was one example. Let me go to one other example. Let me go to David. This is verse 6. David, King David, says the same thing. These are our last three verses. says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Why would David write that? If you read the story of David, what's, what's the unbelievable thing about uh, the beginning story of, of David? It's that he is this 15-year-old, let's say, 16-year-old boy. And everybody's freaked out because this giant is, is a Philistine and he's going to destroy, you know, he, he's, he's the man. And, you know, you've got these big army generals in the, in the, in the Israelite army that are scared of this guy. And word gets back to David, and David is saying, are you kidding me? Why are you so scared? Why are you letting this guy define you? I mean, do you know what we have to boast about? Let me tell you what we have. They may have a sword and a shield, but you know what I'm going to boast about? It's not how big my shield is or how great my chariots are or the number of men I have. I will boast in this. I have the Lord, right? I have the Lord my God as my shield and my, my protector. And, you know, David says, let me add him. But first, let me just go get five smooth stones. So he gets five smooth stones, and then they try to slap some armor on him. And David says, get this off me. This is not me. When I am me, I have a slingshot and I have my faith, and that's when I'm at my best, right? I rely on the Lord, and the Lord will give me that power. And so he walks, walks down to the Valley of Allah, and next thing you know, there's the giant. He swings it and hits the guy and kills him. He takes his, his sword and his, um, he takes his sword, cuts his head off. You know, I can imagine David holding up 15-year-old, 16-year-old boy with all these generals, 6'5", 230, jack generals. And here's a 15, 16-year-old boy saying, there, you want that head? There you go. There he is. Now, what happened? Israel said, oh, we've found our king. Uh, we don't want Saul anymore. We want David, Right? And so they said, give me David, give me David. And all of a sudden, David started reading his own newspaper clippings, right? He started reading the headlines, and the headlines were, David's the man, and he needs to be the king. And he begins to think, you know what? I am the man, and if I am the man, you know what? I deserve whatever I deserve whenever I want it. And so one night, he looks up, and he sees a naked girl up on top of a roof bathing. And he says, you know what? Um, I deserve this stuff. I worked hard. I did this for Israel. It was me. All of a sudden, there was a twist in his thinking. He didn't see it, and he says, give me that girl. I don't care if she's married. Bring her down. And so David took her into his own bed, and he was with her. And not only that, he said, I want this woman. In fact, I want to take her husband, and I want to place her husband on the front line so he will die, and that's exactly what happened to him. And he began to boast in himself. He's still thinking, I deserve this woman. Everything's fine until his buddy, the prophet Nathan, comes in and says this. Pal, you can't see it, can you? You're boasting in yourself. Westtown, you're boasting in yourself. In, in what? You built a building or you have a youth group or you have a great ministry that we've established. Why are you talking about what you have done? Why in the world would any church do that? David, why would you do that? You're in a, in a bed with a woman who is not your wife. You've killed her husband. And now this baby is going to die. Do you not see it? 
And here's what David writes. And he's in the Hall of Faith, right? The Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11. That's the Hall of Fame for Christians. David is cited as that. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. And he realized the grace of God through Nathan. You know what he did? He did this. He said, take all these robes off me. I'm wearing black. I'm wearing sackcloth. Put ashes on me. And he just basically bowed before the Lord and, and wailed before him. And he did this for about a week, right? This is David. After he's found out, he's committed murder. He's committed adultery. The baby has died that's in Bathsheba. And you know what he receives in that moment? He, he is put in his place and he no longer boasts. And the whole, whole feel of David changed. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Not, blessed are you, David, who killed Goliath. David, the reason that you were used by God is because you believed in God. Do you not realize, do you not realize that in your own faith? Those times when, when you're at your best is when you're fully dependent upon him. And what happened to Old Testament happens to us. You feel like you get some bit of success. And at the moment you feel like you got success, though you forget that three weeks ago or two years ago, you were undone, right? And God builds you up and you forget because we have memory loss. We have spiritual Alzheimer's, right? We forget and we think we've done something. But the moment, right, the moment that God gives you grace to get you up and get your degree or or allows you a, a study ethic or allows your mind to think clearly so that when you're in your vocation this week, people rely on you. All of that is grace. And so we don't boast in anything. And David realized that. And you know what? He asked God to forgive him. And God said, of course I will. You can't out me. You know how beautiful this is? You can keep messing up and I will always forgive you. That will make a church that thinks, hey, we got a sign now. We've arrived, right? That will keep our church humble because it's West Town Church, right? What's a church? It's just a people, a gathering, an ecclesia around what? The message and the miracle of Jesus. That's all we're, we're, we're just a people around Jesus that are pointing to Jesus. That's all we do. We're signposts to Jesus, not signposts to say, hey, you come in and you see how good we are. No, you come in here and you hear, we're going to tell you how good Jesus is, not how good we are. And our response to him is, is what, um, is what he wants. And so are we a church? And this is what we have to ask ourselves at different levels. Are you a family? that boast in Christ. Because if you boast in Christ, that will satisfy you, right? If, if I boast in Christ as a man, I'm going to be a different dad. I'm going to be a different husband. If you boast in Christ when you go to work, you will not boast about what you do. You'll boast about what he's done. And maybe you won't do that verbally, but I tell you what, you will do that non-verbally. And what people will feel around you is humility, they will feel like, why is this guy never praising himself? Or why is that girl never, never praising what she's done? And Paul is saying, when you become a church that does that, when people ask you about yourself and your response is, I'm just a signpost, it's to Jesus. And that's not false humility. That's not fake humility. I know that. I know some of, some, you can feel that sometimes. But when that's just in your bones, like, no, no. I mean, this is all, this is all about him. Because, you know, it's, it's like the person who decided to write a $20,000 check to our church so we can get that sign. Here's what they said. We are going to do this anonymously 
Because this is not about a church. This is, I just want, here's $20,000. That's why we have a sign. Because someone wrote that, wrote us that a year ago and said, we don't want anybody to know. Here's $20,000. We think you need a sign. I was like, <laughs> we must really need a sign then, <laughs> right? Um, no, I just thought that was funny. But, um, but they didn't want to be about them. It wasn't boasting in how much they had. It was just, here's an anonymous check. We love this church. Please. We want people to know that a church is here. We're not a cult in the woods. <laughs> we are a church who loves Jesus. So when people come into this church, do we point them to Jesus or we, do we point them to ourselves? When people come into your lives, do you point them to Jesus? When your friends, when your closest friend comes and tells you you've done something great, do you point them to Jesus? All of this is about humility. Blessed are those who's what? who know their place who know that their sin is before them and they're forgiven. If we're forgiven dads and forgiven husbands and forgiven moms and forgiven wives and forgiven sisters and forgiven brothers, if that is our first name forgiven and everybody has that, I tell you what, the world begins to change. Our our church begins to change and we become right. And Paul is asking our, is Paul is asking Westtown, Hey, what are you boasting for real? I mean, when it comes down to it, are we a church that boasts in the work of Jesus? Because, man, we can get our eye off the prize so quickly. And not just as a church, but as a man and as a dad and as a friend. And as a, you know, you can do that in your small group. You can do that in whatever ways in which we divvy ourselves out. Westtown, boast in Jesus, right? Let him who boasts, boast in knowing me. That's what God is saying. Please boast in knowing me. If we apply that, I tell you what, our lives will utterly transform. So let's pray right now and ask that God would do that. Father God, we need to be a church who does not boast in what we do. And um, David had reason to boast, humanly speaking, because he performed this act. What everyone in the world didn't know, what the Philistines didn't know, is that that was directly from, from you. Abraham had nothing to boast in. He didn't do anything. He was just chosen to be the father of many nations. And Father, you know that when the the Jews, when the Hebrews thought that they were really the chosen people, they did not want Abraham to truly be the father of many nations. They wanted him to be the father of one nation. And they thought they had gotten it right and they were boasting in their ethnic, um, in who they were, in their ethnicity. And Paul is saying, no, he's the father of many nations. Because what, what do we know, God? We know that at the end, every tribe and every nation and every knee will bow. And that's what we want to be a part of, God, of calling you back, of bringing you back. God, may we realize that to receive you as our Lord and Savior means that right now we can experience an eternal life. Yes, one day when everything's made true, but we can experience the eternal right now as we find our lives in you, as we beg your spirit to come and work through us. We can feel and experience eternality right now. And God, we're so grateful for that. God, as we um, think about that gift of living eternal life now, of, of receiving it fully one day, may we respond to you. Um, with giving you our time, with giving you our treasures, God, 
with giving you our talents. Would you help us do that, to be a giving church back to you? Um, In your name, amen.